Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're new or visiting, we're going through Corinthians verse by verse. But I determined this within myself, Paul writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that I would not come again to you in sorrow, for if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is in the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe." This punishment was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for you are not ignorant of his devices. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask for the gift of teaching. And wherever our hearts are at, Lord, help us to lay it aside, those thoughts of the day, whatever's taking place this past week, help us to lay it aside and focus on your word right now. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you just read, Paul deeply loved his spiritual children at Corinth, and today we'll see that love and concern in action. But even though Paul is expressing his own personal love and concern, let us not forget that this letter as is all scripture inspired by God. The book that you hold from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, all of it, now not all churches in this area believe this, is God's own personal love letter to all of humanity. And within this love letter, we will find many principles that clearly express that love. This morning, I believe that we will see one of the most important principles. Now, there's lots of doctrine. There's lots of doctrine. And people will say, well, you know, the Bible's archaic. It's not relevant. It's not practical. It's not applicable. That's because they haven't read it and studied it. The Bible is so practical, so relevant, so applicable. And this morning, I hope that we can get there. I think we will. You're going to see, in my mind, probably one of the top three principles that you can apply to your life that will transform your life. It's so important. So as we go over this, please keep that in mind. I believe that we see one of the most important principles revealed to us in order to have a healthy mind and soul. Do you have a healthy mind and soul right now? You don't have to answer, just to yourself. Can you honestly say, I have a healthy soul and mind? If you can't, 
I pray that this is going to help you. It will if you're open to the Holy Spirit. You see, over time, a principle that is going to take some concentration, some thoughts, some prayer, and even some meditation. I'm not talking about worldly New Age meditation. Meditating on the Word of God. That's what meditation, we are to meditate as Christians. None of the New Age garbage, but we are to meditate. In order to personally grasp the depth of, depth of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. It's not a mystical principle. It's not an emotionally driven principle. But a principle that will take spiritual maturity. This is one biblical truth that the enemy does not want you or I to understand. Know that right now. The enemy does not want you to understand this principle. When we come to understand and implement these truths through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is key right there. Again, not self-generated as I mentioned earlier. If you're not surrendering to the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to get over what you want to get over. Your whole life, I surrender some, I surrender some. Is that what we saying? The enemy is going to be defeated and our Christian faith and walk will become empowered. Dunamis, that's where we get our word dynamite from. So verses one and two, but I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? You see, Paul had determined in his heart not to come to Corinth with sorrow over the various situations. Remember, he wrote 1 Corinthians, and it wasn't very long after that he's writing 2 Corinthians. He had visited Corinthians. He's going to visit them again, the church at, churches at Corinth. He had already written letters. He's addressed those situations, and he's waiting to hear from Titus their response to his letters. If his letters had caused sorrow to repentance, this is key, as we do our daily devotions, hopefully you're doing a daily devotion some point during the day, so you can allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart, to possibly grieve you to the sense of you knowing Oh, what I'm doing is not right. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing me that. Because the Holy Spirit will always grant you repentance. Always. He will not cause guilt and condemnation. That's of the devil. That's of the enemy. But he will cause conviction. Then it would be those who repented that would cause much joy to come to Paul. See, just like parents, when our children repent, I mean, it's like dragging... Would you just say you're sorry? Would you admit you're wrong? Did you just do that? It's like you got to spend decades trying to get them to do that. When they finally do it, you go, what happens? You just look at them and you smile. And they're kind of like, what's the matter with you? I'm just so happy you finally admitted something. That's what Paul is talking about here. That when that person, that, that little stinky little sinner, finally grows up and understands, you know, I actually hurt people. I hurt dad. I hurt mom. I need to say I'm sorry. That's what Paul is talking about right here. That's, what, that's the sorrow, the joy that he's talking about here. Remember what Paul shared just a few weeks ago, verses ago, I'm sorry, that he's trying to help them and not lord over them in the faith. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7, 9. We've got a slide here. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Just what I just stated. For you are made sorry in a godly manner. 
that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation or being right with God. Not to be regretted. When you're right with God, does anybody go, man, bummer, I'm right with God. You're never going to say that. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, every day people express sorrow. Every day. Somebody does somewhere. But oftentimes it's because they got caught. They got caught. That's worldly sorrow. And it doesn't produce a transformed heart. You see, godly repentance always produces a transformed heart, a heart that desires to please God. Oh, I've disappointed you, God. I've grieved the Holy Spirit. I repent. I turn to you. I want to be right with you, which then helps all our horizontal relationships. But if I don't have the vertical relationship right, that's going to affect the horizontal relationships. They're intimately tied in together. You see, Paul didn't want to sugarcoat the truth, but rather put the truth out there and allow the Holy Spirit to convict where necessary. Verse 3, And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy. Are you seeing the pattern here? Paul wants to come and have joy of seeing repentance. Not seeing, well, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what you say. That doesn't bring anybody joy. A parent, a pastor, nobody. A teacher, that doesn't bring anybody any joy. So this is what Paul is talking about here. When, when I wrote to you and it caused you sorrow, you repented, you're right with God, and now you're getting right with each other. Tremendous joy. Having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So again, Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to seek after the same joy that Paul had, serving the Lord in sincerity and truth. He was also looking forward to seeing the results of that wonderful Christian fellowship through church discipline. Uh, 3 John 1 says this, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Guys, this is sad to say, but I'm hearing this. You know, I don't visit churches on a Sunday morning. I'm pretty much here. 52 Sundays of the year, pretty much. But other people are coming and they're telling me things that they're seeing in other churches. I'm just going, I I don't understand. I'm I'm not that bright. I have a high school education. I went to Bible college, got the degree, but yeah, I'm not that bright. I don't understand how you can teach anything but the Bible and all of the Bible and the truth found in the Bible unless you just succumb to social pressure. Not going to happen around here. And testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. So it's not just talking the walk. It's walking the walk. Young people, parents, if you're saying something at home or you're saying something at church or you're saying something in the car and you're living it differently at home, they obviously see it. So it's, it's of no value. Now, we're not perfect. I understand that. You stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you. None of us are perfect. So young people, give your parents a break. They're not perfect. They're not perfect. But you could also encourage them and pray for them too. And also, you know what, Dad? That's okay. Mom, it's okay. I, 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 you said you were sorry. Thank you. That's okay. You're not perfect. I get it. I won't be either as a mom or a dad. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear 
that my children walk in truth. Guys, that's what it's all about, walking in the truth. Verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Guys, listen to Paul's heart here. He's writing. You see, the Holy Spirit just didn't quench people and you're only going to write this and this is what it... A person's personality came out in the writing as well as because it was also inspired. So Paul's heart is coming out. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. What they were doing grieved the Holy Spirit. But it also grieved Paul because he had an intimate relationship with each other. And I'm sure in your household, if you've been married for any length of time, once you're over the honeymoon phase, when you do things to each other, you grieve each other. That's just reality. And you could throw guilt and condemnation on the other person, or you could pray for that person, or you can encourage them, you could take them to the word, you can break the word together, you can have date nights, you can do things as marital couples that you should be doing to do what? To be restored. Why is there divorce? Because they're not doing the basics. If we do the basics, if we allow ourselves to be grieved, not that you should be grieved, if we allow that to happen, transformation takes place. When we don't allow it to happen, we're hard-hearted. But that you might know, and I have this part highlighted of the verse in my Bible, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. I never said to my kids, this is going to hurt me more than you. I never said that. I, I don't understand that at all. I said, no, this is going to hurt. And there's a reason why it's going to hurt. Not because I'm punishing you. You need to understand that sin has a consequence. Sin has a consequence. So it's very important. You see, Paul's heart for his spiritual children in this verse, he didn't want to grieve them. And that means to distress. So he didn't want to grieve them to the point of distress Oh, I disappointed dad and I'll never make him happy. That's not healthy. But he didn't want to spank them. He wasn't laying guilt or shame upon them. No, he wanted to love them, yet love them in such a way that they would mature in God's ways. Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening, discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, even as adults. It's painful. It can be humiliating at times, embarrassing. But if you're in the will of God, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to get over it. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those. Now, this is a very important part of the verse right here. Notice what it says. To those who have been trained by it. So if if you're (laughs) grieved, and you continually get grieved, and you continually get grieved, or you grieve somebody else, you just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, you're not going to have the peaceable fruit of righteousness, being right with God. There's going to be issues in your life. There's going to be issues this way, vertical. There's going to be issues in the horizontal. Because you're not at peace with God. You just keep doing what you're doing. Peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That means you need to train yourself via the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. Now, we're going to move into verses 6 through 11, church discipline. So that's why verse 5 says, but if anyone has caused grief, so now get the church picture, so a body like this, okay, this is the Corinthian church, so to speak, 
So Paul is saying, not, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. Paul's not with them. He's out ministering. He's 1,000 miles away, 2,000 miles away. But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. He's trying to raise their awareness of sin in the body of Christ. New Living Translation says it like this. I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. So just look at that, think about it, and 6 through 11 will make sense. So big picture, the church, someone in the church sinned, and it caused problems for the whole church. Not that I'm overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. You see, Paul is trying to share with them that those who sin can cause problems for the flock and not just for themselves. Sometimes people will say, well, I'm not hurting anyone else. Maybe not outwardly, but in a spiritual aspect of the church, there can be a tremendous amount of damage done. And after finishing 1 Corinthians, we can see that what Paul was talking about here. They had divisions amongst themselves. That's hurting the whole body of Christ. They were taking each other to court. That's hurting the whole body of Christ. It might only be two or three people, but that's hurting the body of Christ. Divorce was taking place. They were having sex outside of marriage. This is within the church, guys. All in 1 Corinthians, you can find it. They were, getting, they were abusing communion where drunkenness was taking place. I'm sure that there were many in the city of Corinth that didn't want anything to do with those churches. Like, what, what good is that? We're having a great time out here and we don't have to go to church. They're no different than us. Unfortunately, that's a sad commentary of some churches even to this very day, unfortunately. And it's growing, unfortunately, that sad commentary. You see, at this point in their Christian walk, they certainly were not making a positive impact on those outside the church. So unaddressed sin or sin that is left to itself can cause tremendous spiritual grief to the whole body. Galatians 5.9 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And for you bakers, you know what that means. If you don't know what that means, talk to a baker. Talk to your mom, and she'll, dad, mom and dad will explain it to you. Verse 6. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So now let's give this guy's name. His, his name is Jim. Okay, let's just make it easy for the story. Jim. So, Jim. Okay? This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for Jim. Not everyone will agree with church discipline. Notice that it says, by the majority. Not everyone will agree with church discipline. I find it interesting that Christians will read the paper or watch the news and get upset over what the world is doing in its sinful actions. Yet try to tell the church that the church doesn't love people because the church addresses a person's sin through biblical discipline. You may have heard it this way. Oh, the church just shoots their wounded. No, we do not. We go to people, we're not sin police, we're not sin sniffers, but when something comes to the surface, we will address it in this church privately. 
as the scriptures teach us to do, one-on-one. Encouraging repentance. Well, first of all, making sure we got the situation right. And then if it is correct and there is sin, encouraging repentance, taking the scriptures to them, loving them, helping them, seeking counsel, mentoring, whatever it may be. We go to extremes to love people. So don't be afraid to come and talk to us. If you need help, come and talk to us. We're not going to bash you. We're not going to bring it up to the podium. I don't use this podium to, to bash people. But when I see that, you know, when I hear that, it's a double standard. It's a double standard. You see, James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that, that, that word, those words there, double-minded, two-spirited, divided in interest. So what is the punishment that Paul is talking about here? Excommunication. Putting a person or persons out of the church, out from under the protective umbrella of grace. (gasps) We shouldn't do that. We should never do that. Well, if you don't want to go by the scriptures, then don't do it. We do it around here because we're going to fulfill the scriptures. But we're going to do it in grace, love, and mercy. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 so we can get the better context of what's going on with Jim. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because there is such a thing as church discipline. But typically, I can tell you this. If something comes out and we go to them privately, we meet with them privately, we typically don't have to go to the second level of church discipline because they're not going to repent and they know they're not going to repent and they just leave the church and we're bad. We're bad. You're legalistic. You don't love people. Okay, whatever. 1 Corinthians 5 says, 1, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not, that is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. So this is what I believed happened. Jim had dad and mom. Mom died. Dad got remarried. Dad died. Jim gets saved. And now Jim is having sex with his stepmom and bringing it into the church. How do I know that? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed that he might be taken from among you. Hey, look at us. We're Christians and Jim's having sex with his stepmom. They're not married and isn't that cool? I mean, dad had her and now Jim has her. Isn't that awesome? Pretty sick. The church was sick. This is what Paul had to deal with if you want to be a part of the first century church. For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. I thought we weren't supposed to judge. You don't know the scriptures. We're called to judge. Judge with grace and mercy. The same judgment we give, that's what we want back. So that's why when we get together with people, we're very humble. We're not judgmental. We just want the truth. Because I want, I want grace and mercy if I'm judged. As though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be the Holy Spirit, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Whoa, that's pretty serious. But that's for a person who is non-repentant. Repentant people, totally different scenario. You love them, you forgive them, you move on. 
Your glorying is not good. The church was glorying in this. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin can permeate and corrupt the whole church. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven. So not just talking about Jim now, but talking about ourselves, all of us as believers, individually allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Therefore, let us keep the feast, the agape feast, having communion, not with old leaven, not living my old lifestyle, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness or ill will, but with what? But with the unleavened bread of truth and sincerity. So back in the second Corinthians. So it's very important, very important. Paul is basically encouraging them to excommunicate Jim, which tells us that Jim didn't repent. If Jim would have repented, then Paul wouldn't have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to put those, in the verse, those verses in the word of God. So Jim didn't repent. Now, since you get the bigger picture, Jim's out of the church for the destruction of the flesh. You don't want to be underneath the umbrella of grace? You're out. May, may Satan have his way with you. And I'm not going to say God bless you. I hope God drives you into the ground. That was our prayer for our oldest son for many years. My prayer, Claudia, not so much. My prayer, God, drive him into the ground. Spare his life but just drive him into the ground so he'll look up. That's what people need. And so, drive Jim into the ground, put him out of the church. Let's look at Matthew, or we don't need to look at it, we got it right here. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now here's church discipline, but before it becomes to the church, you go privately. You don't come to me and say, hey pastor, you know, so-and-so's in sin, what are you gonna do about it? I didn't know about it until you just told me. So I think you have a situation. You need to go talk to them. <gasps> no, it's not. Wait a minute. Aren't you friends? Don't you know them? Yeah, yeah, but no, they won't listen to me. That's, that's irrelevant. You go to them first. Don't come tell me about other people's sins that you haven't addressed first. Matthew 18. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. So why come tell me? I would have never known unless you had told me and he repented and everything's fine. So why are you bother telling me or anybody else on staff or any other Christian or putting it on social media? Don't do any of that. You go to the individual face to face, not through social media, not on the phone, face to face. But if he will not hear, ah, get out of here. I'm going to do what I want to do. Take with you one or two more believers. So now you have two or three believers lovingly gracious mercy coming and making sure that the first person wasn't wrong in the judgment okay yes oh you know what you're right we see it and he's not repenting okay that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and if he refuses to hear them tell it to the church ouch but if he refuses to hear the church let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector the IRS. How many of you like the IRS? Put them out of the church and treat them like the IRS. Have nothing to do with them. So that's what they did. They put Jim out of the church. He wouldn't repent. Well, Jim repented. And Jim came back to the church. And so they wrote to Paul, he's back. What do we do? Hence, 
It's one of the answers that Paul is giving right here in 2 Corinthians. Very, very important. So he goes on to say, so on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive him, forgive and comfort Jim. Now I'm going to put Jim in there just because that's where we're, where we're going. Lest perhaps too much, lest perhaps Jim be swallowed up with too much sorrow. And this is where Christianity can go wrong. Where somebody does repent, somebody is sorrowful, they show fruit of repentance, but we keep bringing it up. And we keep bringing it up. And we keep bringing it up. No, that's not what we're to do. In our marriages, whether you're single, whether you're young, whether you're old, if someone truly repents and shows fruit of repentance, therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to Jim. He's back. This is what you need to do. He's repented? Great. He's back. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Are you going to forgive Jim or are you not going to forgive him? Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I have verse 11 highlighted. I have to go away from my notes, Jim, because I'm not going to have time. So forget the notes. Notice verse 11. Very, very important principle here. Guys, this is a super important principle. I'm telling you, it's a top three in my mind. What does it say? Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What? Now, don't shout it out if you know the answer. Just think about it yourself, even if you do know the answer. If you don't know the answer, what's the root of bitterness? If you have bitterness in your heart, What's the root of bitterness? I ask this in counseling, so right now, guys, we're having a discipling class. This is going to save me a lot of time. What's the root of bitterness? Some people say, uh, anger. Okay, what's the root of anger? Um, ill will. Okay, what's the root of ill will? Malice. Uh, and they think I'm frustrating him, but I don't frustrate him. If, if I just give everybody the answer, then you don't have to think about it and you won't remember it. So what is the root of all these earthly evil emotions? Unforgiveness. Almost every earthly emotion comes back to unforgiveness. You were abused as a child. The person that abused you is dead. They're dead. Maybe they received Christ. Maybe they didn't. It's irrelevant because they're dead. You don't know. Who's suffering? Them? If they're in heaven, which they can go to heaven, even on their deathbed, they will be forgiven. They're not thinking about you. They're not thinking anything of this world. Who's suffering? I am. What do I need to do? I need to forgive them. But I can't forgive them. If they're in heaven, God forgave them. And when did God forgive them? God forgave them at the cross. So whether you forgive that person, they're still alive. Whether you forgive them or not, if they receive Christ as their Savior, they're forgiven. And you could take it to the grave in your bitterness, your resentment, your anger, your frustration. Where was God? You can do all that. It's not going to affect that person. 
It's affecting you. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Look at verse 10. Again, they didn't have this, guys. They didn't have the blessing of having the whole word of God in their laps. We have the whole blessing, and people still don't know how to forgive somebody. I mean, really forgive somebody. Not just, yeah, I forgave you, but every time you hear their name, you're like, you didn't forgive them. You did not forgive them. You're just hanging on to it. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. Oh, wait a minute. Paul's saying, okay, if, if I forgive Jim, it's because Paul forgave Jim. And if indeed I have forgiven anything, if I've forgiven Jim, I have forgiven Jim for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Bing. Oh, we get it. Paul judged Jim. We put Jim out. Jim repented. Jim came back. Paul forgives Jim. Oh, and we need to forgive because Paul forgives Jim. But no, not because Paul forgives Jim. Because Jesus forgives Jim. Ah. And we bring that person back into the church, love on them. And guys, this has happened in this church probably over the last 20 years. I I, want to say at least twice, maybe three times where we've actually had to do this extreme church discipline. And in all, all those situations, it's turned out so good. And the people have actually come back and thanked us for being so loving, gracious, and merciful. We didn't have to broadcast it from the podium. We didn't have to bring it to the church. We didn't have to bring two or three more witnesses in because on the first occurrence, they knew it was wrong. We used the Bible. We used it with grace and mercy. And so they said, so you're basically asking us to leave the church. I go, yes, I have to ask you to leave the church because your lifestyle is going to affect the flock and we can't have that happen. Do you understand that? And they were mature enough to say, yes, we do understand that. Okay, go do what you got to do. I'll be praying for you that God drives you into the ground. I'll be praying for you. Do what you got to do. And I always say, and if you ever want to come back, you're always welcome back. Not under the circumstances, obviously, of sin. And guys, it works. But for you individually, I want to encourage you. This is such an important principle. As a music team comes up, what are you hanging on to? What are you hanging on to? And we're not to be Christian doormats. We're not, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us just let everybody walk over us, abuse us, do whatever they want to do to us. No, 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 no. Not insinuating that at all. You need to take a stand. And maybe you need to have healthy boundaries. We had to create healthy boundaries with our oldest son. Lose my phone number. We had to do that. You have to create healthy boundaries sometimes. Now we have a wonderful relationship and it's been really wonderful for five years. But it took a long time to get there. But I had to create healthy boundaries. For my, my wife wasn't crazy. The, kid, the other kids weren't crazy. But it didn't matter. I have to be the dad that God's called me to be. You have to be the dad that God's called you to be. You have to be the mom. You have to be the single parent. You have to be the, the young adult to make sure that you're not hanging around people that are influencing you in the negative way. Or if they call themselves Christians, actually asking them, well, if you're a Christian, why do you keep doing this? Why are you living this lifestyle? Well, who are you to judge me, man? Uh, I thought I was your brother in Christ. I thought I was your sister in Christ. And we're just going to the Bible, so you got a problem with that? Yeah, I do. Okay, all right. Lose my phone number. Feel free to call me when you, get, when, you know, when you repent. 
And most people don't want to do that because it's, it's uncomfortable. I understand. It's hard. But that's why we're finding the church in the state it's in today. Not this church, but a lot of churches floundering, doing things they should no way be doing because they won't go back to the word of God and do the basics. When you do the basics, you end up with a loving church that loves each other. We're not out trying to find sin with each other. None of us do that around here. I don't encourage that, and I would never encourage that. And if somebody comes and does that to me, I would, no, 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 no. Not going down that road, because when I say, you got to deal with it, all of a sudden they don't want to come around me anymore and tell me. Put it where it belongs. person comes to you and says something, say, well, what have you done about that? Matthew 18 says, you're to go to them privately. Hmm. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and that you forgive us. And Lord, this goes much deeper than church discipline. This goes into our private lives. What are we holding on to? Maybe something's been done to us. Someone did something. Maybe that person is dead. Maybe they live in another area of the country. Maybe they don't care. But I have the anger. I have the bitterness. I have the frustration. I'm holding on. Father, I pray that you'd fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. And that I would remember how much you have forgiven me. Even this very day. Even this past week, as Jesus said to Peter, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. Father, how much you've forgiven me that I might learn I need to forgive others. Lord, if we need to set up healthy boundaries, help us to see what that looks like. Help us to do it in love, grace, and mercy, but firmness and truth, biblical truth, that others might know There's a God who loves them and will be there for them when they decide to turn to them, him. Lord, we thank you for Paul just expressing his heart that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Father, we just thank you for that example and a lot of love we have for one another here. Such a blessing, Lord. Help us to continue to love one another supremely showing grace and mercy and coming alongside each other as we've done for two decades now. Help us just continue to do that, that the world will see there is a God who loves all of humanity and will judge all of humanity. But they might see that they could receive grace and mercy by coming to the cross. Use us this week for your glory, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.